you know, if I could kind of put forth my definition, it's being able to make someone else's day better, being able to make someone smile, because no matter how bad of a day you're having, or no matter how rough of a time in your life it is, you always, always, always have the power to make somebody smile. And it's, it's, it's something that I just think is so cool is that you have that ability to affect someone else in that way. No matter how their day was going, it's that moment that matters where you say hi to them or where you even wave or it's something super small. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and today we're talking all things happiness and cultivating a positive mindset. I'm joined by Brandon Posivak. He is the author of Step on the Cracks, Reinventing Happiness, Positivity, and Optimism. Brandon wrote Step on the Cracks during one of the most difficult times in his life. He was struggling to find happiness, and so he turned to writing and research for catharsis. And then he realized he wanted to use what he had learned in order to help others. And so I'm so excited to share this episode and this conversation with you. I think Brandon has a really unique and positive perspective, and he's currently a law student at Pepperdine Law, which is where I went to law school. And so I I loved sitting down with Brandon. We talk all about his journey, writing Step on the Cracks, his definition of happiness, and why happiness really goes beyond checking all of the boxes. We talk about the happiness fingerprint, synthetic happiness, which I had no idea what that was before today's conversation, and the difference between happiness and joy. Brandon shares his perspective around Gen Z's use of social media and technology, how we can avoid getting trapped in the productivity hamster wheel. Plus, Brandon shares the role of vulnerability in his happiness journey, why he's reminding himself to step on the cracks, his biggest dream, and so much more. So we are just four days away from our first ever Seek the Joy Summit, and I am so excited about it. I feel like I'm just completely buzzing. Our first ever Seek the Joy Summit is this Saturday, April 10th at 10 a.m. Pacific, and we are bringing together people from all around the world to connect, inspire, and grow. It's our one-day virtual retreat live on Zoom, and it's going to be filled with empowering conversations and sessions on mindfulness, finding our joy and choosing positivity, stepping into our authentic voice and the importance of sharing our story. And we are joined by so many incredible special guests that you know and love from Seek the Joy podcast, from Kelly Rutherford to Audrey Ori, Akia Red, Kimothy Joy, AJ Sarcioni, Aiden Chase, the list goes on and on. I am so excited about this summit and I'm so excited to see all of you there. I mean, the response to the summit has been above and beyond anything I could have honestly ever imagined. So if you haven't registered yet, today is totally the day to register. You can register by hitting the link in our show notes or go to seekthejoypodcast.com slash seekthejoysummit. It is completely free to attend. And when you register, you're automatically entered into our grand prize giveaway featuring prizes from some of our favorite mindfulness and wellness brands like Mind Travel, Your Joyologist, Primally Pure, Yoga Wake Up, The I Am Journal, La Chic Miami, Sustainabar. I mean, 
there's like 15 brands involved in this giveaway. And I'm just so honored and excited to share this with you guys. So if you haven't registered, make sure you register today. The last day to register for the summit is Friday, April 9th. So get your registrations in before 5 p.m. Pacific by going to seekthejoypodcast.com slash seekthejoysummit or hitting that link in our show notes. I think you're really going to love today's new episode and Brandon's perspective on happiness. His hope in sharing Step on the Cracks is that you'll discover how your own unique happiness fingerprint plays a role in your life and also that this sense of happiness and fulfillment is achievable for Gen Z too. So I can't wait to hear what you think about this new episode. Make sure to join the conversation on our social media channels. We are on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. No matter where you're listening to Seek the Joy right now, make sure you hit follow or subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and review. Ratings and reviews really help the show get seen by new people and share what Seek the Joy is all about. So make sure to take a screenshot of that review and send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com i'll send you a little something something to say thank you and it's always just such a fun way to connect outside of the show all right that's it that's all i've got for today's new episode i cannot wait to see you this saturday april 10th at seek the joy summit is going to be so wonderful and so much fun and i'm just honored to share this with you and i can't wait to see you there make sure to register at the link in our show notes or go to seekthejoypodcast.com slash seek the joy summit i will see you on saturday and without further ado here is my really wonderful conversation with brandon posseback Brandon, I am super excited to have you on the podcast. You know, we first connected last year when you were getting ready to go to law school and the book was not even published yet. Um, So I would love to talk about your journey with Step on the Cracks. How did the idea come about? Uh, Why did you start writing the book? Uh, Yeah, let's start from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And it's crazy. It seems like so long ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I started kind of thinking about the book, the summer between my junior and senior year of college. And um, I had made the choice to come home for my senior year. I went, I'm from Los Angeles and I went to school on the East Coast. And I played baseball my first three years, uh, Division One baseball in college. And I had uh, multiple family health issues. And uh, my grandpa had advanced dementia. My uncle was diagnosed with stage four cancer during my junior year. Um, and I decided to come home to be able to help my mom take care of them. And when I did come home, um, I actually got a job with one of the alumni from my college and was working full time, finishing my degree. So I was actually online even before, uh, even COVID. before the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, also, you know, taking care of my family members. Um, and it, it, it was a difficult time because a lot of my friends were, enjoying their senior year they were at school um my friends you know my my teammates as well were getting ready for the season um and it was hard it was a very very quick life change almost immediately uh but it was a decision i i I knew was the right decision i knew the decision i wanted to make um didn't really make it easier you when you're losing people you care about um Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a really difficult time and i was kind of looking for something external, looking for ways to be happy, like even putting into Google, like how to be happy and kind of looking for just in the way I think kind of just looking for a formula. If it was mm-hmm. like 
three steps I wasn't doing or some place I need to visit or something I need to incorporate into my life that I wasn't already doing. And so I found a lot of different things from experts in the field, from psychologists and therapists and different people online talking about what someone my age needs to do to be happier or how to make like my life you know, better. And I, I just found it strange. There wasn't really much that I found from people my age. It wasn't firsthand accounts and giving advice. It was more like the clinical kind of professional type of advice. And so the opportunity had arose for me to write a book. I had a friend who took a class at Georgetown with a professor who wrote, uh, or who, who teaches his students how to write a book. And by the end of that course, they had the opportunity to get published. And so I actually wrote my first book um, that I published on Amazon when I was 13. And I've always really, really enjoyed writing. And it's also been a way for me to express my emotions in a way that I can't really verbally. And it's always been a kind of a comfortable space for me. And he suggested that I reach out. My friend who took the class suggested that I reach out to the professor and I connected with him. He asked what I wanted to write about. And the first thing I said was, I just, I just want to write a book that helps everybody. I just want to write a book about happiness that helps everybody. And he said, okay, well, how about you, how about you narrow it down to a focus? How about you find some direction where you have some you know, credibility? And if it's not professionally, your credibility is in who you are. And so I use the book as a way to combine my personal experience and my honest experience, uh, interviews with both Generation Z, uh, which is from like around, it's debated, but 1994 or 1995 yeah. to 2009, 2010. Um, and I wanted to be able to combine my personal experience interviews as well as psychological and neurological research and use it all just to present a new perspective for the reader, not to tell them what to do, not to tell them these are the, just let them know that this is my experience. This is the experience of some other people. Here's some research. And in each chapter, tackle a different concept that I struggle with. And, and I really try to be vulnerable in that. And then also concepts that just by the numbers, Gen Z struggles with as well. And using the yeah. interviews to describe that. So um, the biggest aspect of my book I want to get across was it being relatable. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted people to be able to read it and feel like they weren't alone in what they were feeling. And that not only were they not alone, that as a generation, there's so many people that feel this way about, you know, technology or social media or something bringing them down, or they're stressed about a career with a job market right now. They're, so it's, it's something that I didn't really know I, I, I had wanted to do and the gener you know, the direction kind of formed and, yeah was lucky enough to be able to pitch it to a publishing company and uh, sign a contract and get it published. And mm -hmm. um, the, I, I, I think just the, the feedback I've gotten from so many people about different things they liked about the book and different things they felt like they related to um, was really, really cool to hear that, mm -hmm. you know, something that I was hoping would be able to help somebody, someone actually might yeah. have. Yeah. I love I love your story of coming to writing the book because I think our grief, our life experience, what we experience through social media, uh, with our friends, everything in between shapes our perspective around who we are and then also shapes our perspective around happiness. And I think what I, well, I enjoyed so many aspects of your book, but something that really stuck out to me was you talk in the book about how 
we all have this happiness fingerprint. We all have something that is unique to us that we identify um, that's our own concept of happiness. But I think something that we're all trying to figure out is how can I find happiness within me as opposed to looking around me or external to me for that happiness? And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? I know you talk about it in the book, but I, I just think it would be so helpful to talk about finding that level of happiness within and, and really just being unique to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's always something that I think even since I was a kid that I found really interesting, um, mm -hmm. the, the happiness fingerprint is the way I kind of like to articulate it, but yeah. essentially the idea that everyone's unique in the way that they think about happiness and everyone has a different vision in their head. You know, I, I remember in the book, I kind of talk about, you know, some people it's jumping into that you know, sea of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck or mm -hmm. being able to sit on the beach, you know, with a drink in your hand and just relax. Like every, everyone has a different vision when they hear the word happy or someone says happy life and you automatically think of something. And it's always, you know, it was always kind of ironic to me that everybody always talks about happiness, yet everybody was talking about something different. And it was still that one word that kind of, you know, unified everything together. And so, when I talk about it in the book, one of the, a few of the most interesting pieces of research that I really enjoyed in the book is I, a cool part about writing the book was me getting to learn a little bit more. You know, I had never taken a psychology class. I didn't know anything about neurology and just to be able to kind of understand a little bit more of the data and science behind like how our brain actually works and how it yeah. responds and how emotions work. Um, and so Professor Daniel Gilbert um, at Harvard talks about synthetic happiness. And he has multiple TED Talks on this. And I talk about it at different points in the book, but he talks about synthetic happiness. And that's this idea that as a human being, we're the only beings on the planet that can create our, our own happiness. And that through our through ourselves, we can you know, we actually have the power to make other people happy. And he cites different examples. And the simplest one is you're walking down the street, you pass somebody and you say hi. And it makes them smile or it like visibly makes them happy. And it's kind of that emotion. And then Professor Emmons talks about the difference between happiness and joy. And so it, it, just in that process without, you know, getting bogged down in the data too much, um, it, it, it really is something that at least if I, you know, if I could kind of put forth my definition, it's being able to make someone else's day better, mm -hmm. being able to make someone smile, because no matter how bad, of a day you're having, or no matter how rough of a time in your life it is, you always, always, always have the power to make somebody smile. And it's, it's, it's something that I just think is so cool is that mm -hmm. you have that ability to affect someone else in that way, no matter how their day is going. It's that moment that matters where you say hi to them or where you even wave or it's something super small. And that is so different than everyone always says happiness is a material or you can't buy happiness but i think they don't ignore the fact that you still the two two ones are you want to find happiness and you deserve happiness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, the amount of times where you know when i was going through a difficult time or my family was going through a difficult time and i would hear you know, i'm so sorry you you deserve to be happy and so like that that exact phrase i kind of thought i was like what, what does that mean? Like, I, I deserve to be happy, you know, because I'm, I'm doing a good thing or because I'm a good person or something like that, that type of idea was so reactionary. It was that like, yeah. if, you, if you check this box, if you do boom, 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 
you'll be happy. Like it's just a, a switch that flips. Um, and so I tried to kind of dispel that idea in my book that it's not, it's not something you deserve. There's no secret formula. It's not, you know, you do X amount of, you know, good work. You say hi to this many people or you're a good person for this many years. You're just happy. Like it, it, it and, and similarly that idea where if you do, you know, X, Y, Z, you can find happiness. You can go towards that, that place. And I really say, just like Professor Gilbert, he talks about how we can create that happiness. And so one thing I try to think about is there are absolutely external things that make me happy. Like if I enjoy like going to the beach or I enjoy watching the sunset or I enjoy um, hey, spending time with friends or something like that, almost all of those things are out of my control as far as things that I can make sure that like happen, you know, I don't have mm -hmm. a control whether it's a nice sunset or not, or I don't have a control whether it's sunny. And so I think it's understanding what is in your power and understanding that you're not going to be happy all the time. Yeah. And I, I think, I think to sum it up the coolest, coolest quote, um, and it's kind of a longer one. So to paraphrase, uh, was from professor Gilbert and he talks about how people think happiness is a house that you build. And as soon as you, you know, lay the foundation, you have the bricks or whatever, and you have your house, that you can just live in that house and just be happy forever. And he said, it's interesting that people think that because happiness is a lot more like a vacation home. Mm -hmm. You get to visit and sometimes you, you want to visit more often and sometimes you get to stay there, you know, longer than you, you had the previous time. But you can't stay forever. You always have to leave. You always have to go back home. And so that, that idea was always interesting to me because I'm definitely a visual learner. So to, to picture the two differences that that house that's so like cemented and adamant and yeah. then the vacation home. Um, and so I think that was another thing is that when people say, I want to find happiness, it's like, I just want to be happy, you know, forever. And I, I, I certainly wanted that, you know, I wanted to, you know, I want to be happy. And yeah. so the idea where it's something that, you know, you enjoy while it's happening and that you can create from your, from yourself and you can not, not impose, but you can give to other people. It's like a gift you can give to mm -hmm. other people. It's mm -hmm. cool. So, yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back to something that you said about stepping away from this mindset that happiness is something that you deserve. So it's kind of like, if you check off all the boxes, if you do all the right things, then you deserve happiness. And the truth is, is, and this is something that I really believe Happiness, I think, is an active choice. It's something that you can choose in the day. I love this analogy of it being a vacation home. It's something that you visit. But even just take that analogy one step further, it's a, it's you have to make repairs on this vacation home. You have to patch it up. You have to work on the garden, the landscaping. You've got to be proactive and active in tending to your happiness and making it something I think that you actively choose you know, every day. And I think, you know, it's so interesting. I think happiness, and you say this in the book, it can get lost in our pursuit to check off all those boxes, right? It can get lost in trying to hit all the career goals or the relationship goals or just the life goals in general. And I think, I just think if we can step away from that and have happiness be more about what is on the internal rather than the external, it allows us, I think, to stay present a little bit more and stay present with what it is that we're experiencing. Because the truth is, even in the midst of some of the worst things ever, you can find a moment of joy or a moment of happiness for yourself, I think, 
if you're willing to choose it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I really uh, couldn't have said it better. I, I think it's, it, it's something that really just does get lost in translation. I think especially for Gen Z with the pressure to perform or the you know hearing that it's such a tough job market out, yeah. out right now and it's still ex- you know, being expecting to follow your career goals and to you know, and even just not having graduation and still just kind of moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like I just remember and talk about in the book, how, when I was a kid, very, very quickly, I realized how amazing some kids were and how important it was to get into a good school and to differentiate yourself and separate yourself from the pack that you had to have this, these extracurriculars and, you know, having different friends with these crazy talents and skills. And that it was only going to get harder. You know, it was only going to get harder. You know, people were only going to get smarter, more driven, like as you continue kind of up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, especially when you're, you feel overwhelmed with what you have in your life. You have, yeah, like school, relationship, family, there's, you know, a bunch of stuff going on and you're trying to manage it all. And it can be really tough because sometimes, and there's even like things that you might do that started off like the best thing in the world and slowly become work, slowly become a job. Yeah. Um, whether it's you're having a tough semester in school and you don't like your classes or it's difficult, like your, your work, you, you love what you do, but you're just buried in work, you know, something like that. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. That it, it, it we sometimes forget about it. It's that, mm-hmm. that thing where it's like, you know, I, I got through my meetings today. I got through all this. Like, okay, that's like, I, I just don't have time for happiness. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not, I, it's not there. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I've, I've tried to do um, since I, you know, in the process of writing a book and after was I always try at the end of the day, when I go to bed, I try to self-reflect like on the day. It was like, just for, for law school purposes, where could I have been more time efficient in my work? Where could I have, you know, kind of improved? How could I have studied possibly more effectively? And then I also ask, so, you know, what, what was something good that happened today? And some days it, it, it's something so simple. Some days it could literally be, I saw it like a funny dog, like being walked out my window or something like that. Like it could be something so trivial. Um, or it was sunny today and I didn't expect that. So something like that, or maybe there are absolutely days where it's just one of those bad days and you're just like, you know what? I can't like, I, I can't think of anything happy. I can't think of anything positive. Today was just a bad day all the way around. And I think that goes back to the point where you can't be happy forever. And there are some situations where it's really, really hard to put a positive spin on it. Or it's really hard to say like, Oh, but like, there's this, there are some situations where it's just, it sucks. Yeah. And I think in sometimes when those times in life get prolonged, especially you in a pandemic, um, like I know, cause I, I live alone, just, you know, not being able to see people as, as much as I would like, or not having that traditional like school experience, you know, in, in person, it's definitely, you know, it feels, people talk about like Zoom fatigue, but you, you feel that kind of prolonged sense of like, when is this ending? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, you know, where's the actual like light, light at the end of the tunnel? And so yeah, I absolutely think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so interesting. You, I know that every chapter of your book, you touch on something that you have personally struggled with um, in the hopes that it will provide, I think, not only inspiration for Gen Z, but also 
and knowing this, that you're not alone. And I'm, I'm, keep thinking about something you said at the very beginning of our conversation about how there was all this information about older generations, even just like for millennials and above about, you know, how to navigate the workplace or how to uh, handle, you know, grief and loss or discovering your happiness. But there really wasn't anything for Gen Z. And um, it, you, you, you said it so well when you're like, we are in such a unique time right now. Like there's a pandemic. You're studying law from home. Like you've never met your classmates. Like you're learning everything through Zoom. And I think we're not talking enough about, I think, the impact of this time on Gen Z and the way it it's impacting you. And I think, I mean, come on, like you're learning through Zoom. Like you spend your whole day staring at a computer and it's hard not to get, I would imagine it's hard not to get lost in this productivity hamster wheel. Cause like I feel it and I'm a millennial. And so I imagine you're feeling it even more, you know, doing school online. And so I'm curious, you know, we get lost in this productivity loop, this pressure to be busy all this time, this all the time, the sense that like our worth is defined by social media. If there's anyone out there that's like, oh my God, that's me. Like I totally resonate with that sentiment. What's been, what's worked for you? What's, what's your advice either based on your research or, or just your, your real life? Yeah. Um, I, I always think, I, I think another point I wanted to, to bring up from the book was that I wanted to make it abundantly clear and to really show the reader that it was like, I don't have it figured out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not like past the finish line looking back and saying, this is what I did. It worked. Yeah. I'm passing it Truthfully, back. there's no finish line, right? You're always learning. Exactly. You're always growing. And from every experience, you learn something more about yourself and then also about life. Exactly. And I, yeah, I, I absolutely try to get the point across that it's so it's it's really something that's such a work in progress yeah permanently that you're always continually working and trying to improve and everything and um i think one thing that took me a very very long time to realize with social media was that it's just a highlight reel like of, of people's best moments you know their personal page their their business page whatever it is it's they're showing the best moments they've won an award uh you, uh, you know, one or two year, three or whatever anniversary with their significant other birthday, you know, the, the holiday, it's the, it's the best, best moments. They went on a trip and they want to share that with other people. And that aspect of sharing is awesome. That's exactly what social media is for is you're able to connect with people who aren't actually there. It allows you to stay connected to your friend or family member in another state. Um, it allows you to you know, for business opportunities to connect with people who are in, you know, similar industries and has so many benefits. And I think on Gen Z, one of the kind of toxicity elements that comes from it is the comparison aspect. You know, you compare the likes and the amount of followers and you compare even like experiences or what their page looks like or their filter there. There's all these things that seem so important. And it's always funny to me how whenever at least for in my experience for Generation Z, whenever there's someone who you haven't met before or anything like that, almost the first first like instinct is to say, "Oh, well, let me see their Instagram." Hmm. Like it, it, it's just it, if you want to get a, a very preliminary idea of someone that like that's just the first question. It seems so logical that you're like, "Oh, well, what do they look like? Let me see their Instagram." Yeah. And so, and it's it's weird when like I have a few friends who either had deleted their social media or just never had one. And it's, it's, there's something when I hear that where it's like, wow, that's, that's kind of strange. It shouldn't be strange, but it's like, wow, that, 
that's interesting. Like you, you, why, why don't you have an Instagram? Why don't you have a Snapchat or something? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it seems like something that's just there. And then I also know like in, even in the most social situations, when there's a lull in a conversation, you pull out the phone and yes. normally it's not for an important text or anything like that. You're scrolling through Twitter, you're scrolling through ESPN, you're scrolling through Instagram, whatever it is. And it's just, it's just a crutch. It's, it's something to mm -hmm. fill that amount of time when someone isn't talking. And that's why you see sometimes, you know, two, two people at a, t you know, two person table, they're both on their phones, like looking down, texting the whole time, or a, a big table, a, you know, a big table. And there's people all down the line texting and I, it, it, or not even texting, like I said, just scrolling. And so I think it's just thinking about it in a, in a, in another way. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I offer a different perspective. And so I, I definitely try to say like offer perspective rather than advice. Cause I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. I, yeah. I try to think about social media in terms of, you know, posting what's important to me, posting what I want to post and using it to stay connected with friends and to be able to share like a funny video. Um, and it's not about the, you know, how many likes you get or how many followers you get or comparing yourself to someone else who you decide to compare yourself to. Yeah. Um, it's really about making sure that, you know, th th I feel like that's kind of the healthiest way to, to go about it in terms of using it for hopefully what its intended purpose was. Taking a brief break from today's really wonderful conversation with Brandon, because I want to share with you today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Now more than ever, I found that it's really important that we have reliable resources that we can turn to, and that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's easy and free to change counselors if you don't think the person you're matched with is a good fit. This service is available for people worldwide too. I have found throughout my life that it's really valuable to talk to someone about what you're going through, whether that be anxiety, depression, grief, and loss, and BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise in their counselor network. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus, and this is my, might be my favorite part, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too, which during a pandemic is a game changer. I really want you to be able to live a happier, more joyful, and ease-filled life, and I'm excited to share that as a listener of Seek the Joy podcast, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash seekthejoy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash seekthejoy. The link will also be included in our show notes. All right, let's get back to today's conversation with Brandon Posseback. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I was just thinking about it. The first time I went on the internet, <laughs> I'm going to make myself sound so old, but the first time I went on the internet, we had AOL dial up and like you had to connect it through your phone. And I think I was like, maybe, maybe like 10 or 11, but you're the generation that grew up with iPads with cell phones from the time you were like literally probably like what in elementary school at least. So this is like all, you know, so for in so many ways, it's like not only an appendage, but it's a way to define yourself and it's a way to define yourself for yourself and then also to the world, to others. And so it's so interesting because like when I first meet someone, my instinct is like, let me look them up on LinkedIn or like, let me look them up on social media in general. And I think we can get lost in that in, in, cause your social media speaks for you first. And I think it can put a lot of pressure on you um, 
and can really drive you crazy. So I think your perspective is really a good one. It's refreshing. It's like, use it as a way to connect with people rather than allowing it to define you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I definitely, at least in, in a few of my earlier chapters kind of touch on that generational difference, you know, yeah. very, very few Gen Z remember like, and I, I certainly don't, so I'm not speaking for myself, but like Tom from MySpace and it was more so, like you said, like I got my first Facebook when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my first phone when I was 11. Um, and like, it, it's for safety reasons, but because, you know, cell phones were prominent, it was right. a way for like me to call my parents after school. Um, and I just remember like when I was 14, I got my Instagram and my Snapchat. Um, and before Instagram was popular, Facebook was like the the big deal. And all, every kid was like, you know, you're, you're playing Farmville or Club Penguin or Call of Duty. There's, there's all these little things where it's just a language, you know, is after school, this is just what kids did. And it was always, always interesting to me because like I was a kid who loved to play outside and I loved playing sports and running around and everything. So, um, you know, I see so many people who are like super into um, their video games or their phone or whatever. And I love that. And I, I think like video games can absolutely be a way to connect with friends as well. I think all of it is just in, in the, the way that you feel like is, is healthy. Like yeah. if, it, if it's an outlet or like, you know, playing an hour of video games or, or playing or playing games on your phone or something, if, if whatever it is, is an outlet, that's perfect. I think we're just talking about the moment specifically where you're in a social situation or you totally. purposely use your social media or your phone or something like that as a crutch to not be social or something like that. And it, that's when it kind of starts getting, you know, problems. Cause you, you know, we, we hopefully are like social creatures and that's why, you know, the mm-hmm. pandemic and the quarantine are so difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it's one of those things where it's just, I wanted to be able to show a new perspective because I definitely was there where I would post a picture and I would like check back every three seconds just to see, Oh, who, who liked it? Is there a comment? Like, what about this person's photo? Like, why, why didn't I do this? Or did I post at the right time or something? Like it's yeah, yeah. so many factors just driving you crazy. It starts to give you major anxiety. Cause you, it's like, it's a rush of adrenaline. It hits like the serotonin in your brain. It's a whole thing. You know, I want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, and I think I touched on this about, you know, part of the book is sharing with people that they're not alone. Um, But I don't know how often, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like amongst old generations, sometimes we really struggle with sharing our experience. Uh, This level of vulnerability and being honest about your struggles, about what you're working through. And in a lot of ways, Brandon, I feel like you're a bit of a unicorn in just how open you are about what it is that you've experienced. Because I think online, especially we want to present, like you said, this persona of who we are. It's the highlight reel. You don't do that. Like you're very honest about what you've gone through with your family, about your own personal health, uh, your journey with law school. How did you make this decision? Or yeah, like how did you make this decision to be so honest or be so vulnerable? Because I think there's can often be fear are people going to judge me? Am I going to face rejection? It's, it's a level of courage to be that open and honest. So what made you decide like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and, and be me and be honest about what it is that I'm experiencing and, and I've experienced. Yeah. Uh, it certainly wasn't a split second decision. It definitely was a lot of kind of time and thought brought into it. Uh, and I, I certainly just have always been, even since I was a kid, like 
a little kind of more guarded. I'm not very um, sharing with my emotions. I'm not very kind of open. I, I always tried to deal with stuff on my own and you know, never really asked for help. And just, I, I never wanted anyone to see me projecting a negative emotion. You know, I never wanted anyone to see me upset or sad or whatever it might've been. Um, and it's tough, like, you know, being like, happy all the time or like or especially if everyone thinks you're happy all the time you kind of feel the need as like a, a kid to like keep it up like yeah. no matter what's going on in your life you just you're the happy kid you gotta keep smiling because maybe it makes other people smile so you're just like okay i gotta put on the brave face um but it's yeah it's it's it, it, it it's really really tough i think I really think it was that i felt like in expressing the ideas that i wanted for the nature of the book the only way I would be able to truly relate to people is if I opened up and if I did share. And what was scary for me was I was saying stuff in the book, essentially, you know, to the world that I hadn't even said to like a best friend or like mm -hmm. to, you know, the very few or so, some things even my, even my parents didn't know that I just, you know, hadn't opened up about. So um, I'm certainly a very, very you know private person and really don't, um, I, I should say I'm not like super forthcoming with my emotions or like opening up. So the book was a really big step. I think for me personally, just being able to articulate certain things that I kind of struggled to say out loud or that for whatever reason, the method of writing was really that kind of cathartic way that I could just articulate myself emotionally in the best way possible. And it was always tough for me, you know, having family members or friends who, were so different and who were a lot better at it. They wore their hat on their sleeve. They could tell you in a second how they feel. Whereas for me, I feel like it was just a maze trying to like actually describe it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so I really found the book as kind of a vehicle for doing that. And it's amazing how many people I've talked to who, whether it's writing or singing or there's some sort of activity that they just feel they can kind of let their emotions out and be honest. That's aside from just talking to a person. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it was really interesting to me because it really isn't something you think about. And I've never, you know, grew up with that, you know, the, the, the types of kind of friendships or something where you would really just, you know, you would just be so open and, and tell them if there's a problem or whatever. That was always something that I really struggled with was telling someone, you know, even just like, Hey, I had a bad day, you know, mm -hmm. this, and, and so I've been trying with the book and since then in my life to really work on that and to really work on just personally being more open and a little more vulnerable, but it was absolutely really scary. Um, just, <laughs> just to put yourself out, especially I think a dual sword scary cause you're scared of, you know, people like saying like, Oh, I, I had no idea about this. Why, why didn't you tell me or, or when were you going through this or, I, I, and so I, I didn't know what to do about that. And then I also, it was like, if someone new who doesn't know me is reading this book, are they going to think I'm weird? And like, mm -hmm. and I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And so I kind of felt caught between a rock and a hard place. And I just remember at least for the first like five or six chapters, um, which are not the same chapters that are in the book, there was a bunch of kind of rescrambling, but the first five or six chapters I wrote, I just remember my editor really pushing me and she was like, you need to talk more about yourself. You need to talk more vulnerable. And I was trying to distance myself when I was writing it to really have it be more on like, you know, the, the, the reader than myself. And she, she just said, she was like, no one's going to believe anything they say if they don't know anything about you because no mm -hmm. one knows who you are. And so that really struck a chord with me. And I wanted to be able to, you know, in order for the goal of the book to be relatable, people 
needed to relate to something and they're not going to relate really to data. They're going to relate to an experience because it's going to be something similar. And I I've had people reach out to me on social media or write a review on Amazon where they related to a part of the book or or a personal experience I had or something someone said in one of the interviews that I really could have never imagined like that they had a similar experience or that that resonated with them. It, 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 I just couldn't have guessed Mm -hmm. that. And it's Mm -hmm. something so minor um, that they may have latched onto, or they may have understood or a concept where they were just like this, this clicked. Um, so th- that really kind of like, I guess, validated a little bit, um, the vulnerability, you know, yeah. in, in that, like it, it really helped people on the other end be vulnerable if they saw that I was, and it's absolutely still a work in progress for me. You know, I think every day it's something that I really do try to work on because my first instinct is not to talk to someone or to say like, I'm having a tough day. It's to kind of keep it inside and like deal with it on my own. So I, okay. I, I, think, I think the book was kind of big in that respect. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about the name of the book, Step on the Cracks, because I know there's a story behind the name. Um, so yeah. How did you come up with the name Step on the Cracks? Because I think it's, it's unique, but I think the story behind it is really beautiful if you're willing to share it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, a strange story. Um, and I, <laughs> I think it speaks to your personal experience and and what you've gone through and just making that active choice to choose happiness. So anyway, I'll let you take it away. Tell, tell us the story. Yeah, I uh, so I guess to start off, like I said, I'm a very visual like person, very visual learner. Um, so I basically basically started playing this game when I was a kid and I would play with friends and I would play it on my own. I'd play it, you know, it kind of everywhere. But essentially if you were walking across a crosswalk and the crosswalk had those lines or you were walking in a tile floor in school or whatever, my, my elementary school had these marble floors. So there was like a crack every so often or yeah. the sidewalk cracks. Um, and I would play the game where you just, you couldn't step on any cracks. So if the cracks were like lava and if you're crossing the crosswalk or if you're walking down the hallway or, or walking down the sidewalk, you just, there's only one rule in the game, just don't touch any cracks. And like, if you, if you don't touch any cracks, like by the end of the sidewalk or by the end of the floor, you win. And sometimes they're uneven and you're like elongating your step or like stepping short or something. And um, I always thought it was kind of a fun game. And then I realized kind of as I was, you know, a little more like middle schoolish, I was realizing that it was like, something that I wasn't really like doing consciously that it was even like if they were like uneven ones that I would be in a fully normal conversation and just feel the need to like absolutely like almost like broad jump to make sure I I wasn't hitting it. It wasn't so much a game anymore. It slowly became kind of this weird, like weird compulsion where I just felt I needed to avoid the cracks. Um, And given the like step on the crack, break your mother's back, you know, um, idiom is kind of, it's funny, but, um, I just really, I really just, I, I felt like I, I couldn't, like, it was something that was like, it, it, it would literally be like stepping in a bear trap or stepping in lava or something like that. It felt so wrong just for so many years that I had been doing this, that the game turned into kind of this weird job. And I kind of talk about how, like, once I got to college and I was on the East coast, um, there was, a time my junior year where it had snowed and there was a patch of black ice and I was walking on the sidewalk and just, you know, was trying to miss a crack and stepped a little too far, slipped and fell. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily I you know, wasn't really hurt. I 
could have been really bad when you, you know, slip and fall like that. Um, but it was, it was just kind of a wake up call for me where it was like, not only has this, you know, not been enjoyable for so many years, it now is like a, a legitimate, like threat to health where it's like, yeah. you know, there's, there's no point in playing this game. And it, it, it was not even the original intention. The original intention was just to kind of have fun. And it was to play this game where like you could, you could kind of win. And it was like, Oh, the floor is kind of lava. So it was weird to me where it was just for all those years, I kind of felt like I had to, or it was just a game that I was playing that nobody else was. And I kind of made the decision, you know, after I had slipped literally that right that day, I was like, I'm just going to like start stepping on the cracks like that. I can, it was kind of like, and I talk about it in the book, it was kind of like just this mental prison that I had created myself. So to be able to, you know, break free of that. And, and, and I guess it sounds kind of funny, but like to let myself like step on the cracks, mm -hmm. I really tried to extend that as a metaphor for getting out of your comfort zone and making sure that when you're going through life and, you know, tough time, great time, great people in your life, not so great people in your life, no matter what the situation might be, that for me, telling myself to step on the cracks is a vehicle that I use to say like, Hey, don't put yourself in a mental prison. Don't you know, chastise yourself for every little thing you do wrong. Give yourself a little more grace. Give yourself a little more freedom. Give yourself a little more credit. And um, it's amazing how many people I've talked to who like, they're, they're equivalent of what step on the cracks for me is there. Maybe it's not visual. Maybe it's not even verbal. Maybe it's it, it, whatever it is for them. But each person kind of has their own, I guess, um, whether it's, you know, a quirky phrase or something like that, that really kind of resonates with them. So, um, it, it is funny every time I think mm. about it, like it does sound so strange to like say like, Oh, I was trying to like miss a crack when I was walking. There. I think we all played that game growing up though. Right. Like, cause if you touched it, you would die. You would fall yeah. into the lava. It was a whole thing, yeah. but I love the metaphor of it because it's allowing to, just like you said, to give yourself grace. Um, but also, letting yourself make mistakes and, you know, being imperfect. And I think this pursuit of happiness is an imperfect one. Um, and I just have loved sitting down with you to have this conversation. And I really appreciate your perspective on happiness. And I think too, your willingness to be open and vulnerable in sharing what you've learned and the imperfections of all of it um, with Gen Z. So before we go, I have to ask you though, the question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, um, and it's a big one. Uh, and it's uh, what is your biggest dream? And you have your whole life ahead of you, so it'll change. But maybe what is it right yeah. now? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I honestly, I think it, at different points in my life, I probably would have given different answers. I know mm -hmm. for sure as a kid, I definitely would have said being a professional athlete. That mm -hmm. was always my dream. I always wanted to play pro sports. Um, and then I think if you had asked me a little while ago, I just probably would have given the answer like I just want to be happy, like whatever that is. That's my dream, just to be happy. Um, I think right now, I think the best way I can describe it is like, I don't know what age I'll be, but just a moment in the future where I'm at kind of like a bigger dinner table, you know, when we can actually have like <laughs> dinners, yet. Mm -hmm. be at a dinner table and just, I think, be surrounded by family and friends and people that it's mutual both ways where I know they have my back and I know they value me as a person and it's, you know, sent right back to them. And there's just kind of a feeling that I feel like we've all felt before that feeling, just contentness where you're so kind of like in the moment and in the world. Cause I think 
at least for right now, just with law school and everything going on, it's so easy to get stressed with like everything moving around. So I think, you know, whatever it is in the future, just having that moment where you kind of like breathe and it's, uh, you know, I, I also think I probably would have given you a material answer. I would have said, you know, <laughs> I want this job. I want to live here. I want this salary, this house, whatever it might've been. But yeah, that, I think the dream is that's the closest I can describe it. That idea of being at a table with like a bunch of people that you really care about and that care about you and just feeling that idea of like, Mm -hmm. just peace. Mm -hmm. We'll get there. It's coming back before we know it. Brandon, where can everybody find you, find your book, um, connect and, and learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I have, uh, all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, my Instagram is Brandon underscore Posvac, P-O-S-I-V-A-K. And in my bio, I have a link to my Amazon. Uh, the Kindle book is only 99 cents. The paperback is 16.99. And um, there are some reviews and there's also different places you can read about uh, the book and the topic if you want to kind of learn more. And I think Amazon also gives you a preview of it. Um, so the, the, that's where you can find the book and then social media. Like I said, I have Facebook, which is just my name, uh, Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N, Posvac, P-O-S-I-V-A-K. Um, I don't use Twitter as much. I'm a little more active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I am looking for an internship this summer. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's where everyone can find me. And I always love talking to people about uh, their experience or if they have any questions or also constructive criticism if they disagreed with something or, or felt like I could have done something better. I always love just talking to new people. So feel free to reach out. Perfect. Everything will go in the show notes. It'll be so easy for everyone to find you, connect and get your book, Step on the Cracks. And Brandon, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was really fun. And I really, really appreciate your perspective on happiness. And I know so many people will resonate. So thank you. Absolutely. My, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This, uh, Like I said, I'm pretty much studying the rest of the day. So this is by far the highlight of my life. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I really appreciate being on.